super friends with eric esquivel welcome back to super friends i'm joined today by the legendary todd barto hello todd, how's it going buddy good what are we talking about today what's your favorite superman movie of all time um, the my favorite Scream movie, favorite Superman movie, <laughs> favorite Superman movie, uh, favorite Superman movie obviously has to be Superman three. Yes, yes, I'm so excited you wanted to see this. It's the Richard Pryor Superman. Yes, mo- most folks know it yes. as. Um, so good. Came out in 1983, mm-hmm. and I watched it this morning again for I think maybe the second time. Yeah, and in my head it's the worst thing ever. But then I watched <laughs> it and I was like, this is actually pretty great. It's nowhere near the the amazing heights that number two reached. Yeah, but three. It's it's fine. It, it's so wrong in all the right ways. Exactly. So it was written by uh, David and Leslie Newman, and they are legendary for being the writers of the first two that uh, Richard Donner hated, and he brought in other writers to co- to over to, to like edit their scripts. So Mario Puzo, I think, did the first one, right? Yeah, in The Godfather. Yeah. Uh, so they're terrible. Uh, she's also she's known for writing these movies and also a cookbook. Oh, okay, great. That's the extent of her credits. She wrote a book called Feasts, Menus for a Home-Cooked Celebration. So that's her claim to fame. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And Richard Lester directed this, and he's the uh, scum who was hired (laughs) to replace Richard Donner. And and Richard Lester we know because he directed all those amazing Beatles movies. Hard Day's Night. Yeah. Hard Day's Night, yeah. which just, I mean, that kind of explains it all. Yeah, he's the father of the music video, people call him. Oh, okay. Which is yeah. interesting because he did see this terrible movie for the Selkans. Yeah. And uh, it's very comedic, much more so than the first two. It opens up with this weird kind of Rube Goldberg, like... There's a penguin toy that's on fire and it goes down to shoe and it touches and it hits a blind guy and the blind guy repaves the street and like well it's the 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 film is really interesting cuz it's in a way it's tonally all over the place yeah. like it starts out as like this Charlie Chaplin-esque yeah. Buster Keaton slapstick comedy mm-hmm. with this weird it it starts with this weird scene with uh Richard Pryor in the unemployment office and Oh it's the very first he, thing, Yeah, that's the right? very yeah. first thing you see is Richard Pryor and and it's this weird like uh, comedic but like totally weird like you're like is this a superman movie like it yeah. does not seem like a superhero movie and when you start like watching it the first black guy in the film franchise of superman and then it starts off with him in the unemployment line <laughs> yes and like oh god and he's just like they're like you you're a bum he's like don't call me a bum and then he enrolls in computer school and becomes the world's greatest hacker and is then able to hack the weather yeah overnight because it's the 80s and computers. Yes. So, yeah, he starts, like, hacking tornadoes and And things. computers can do everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, he hacks Superman. It's, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Ilya Salkind, who's one of the producers of this film, we talked about them before. You know those guys, right? The Salkinds. Yeah, They're yeah, insane. Yeah. They filmed the first two movies back-to-back and didn't tell any of the actors. Uh, and because of that, a lot of the actors hate them. And Gene Hackman wouldn't come back. He, he broke his own contract. He just refused to come back. Yeah, basically nobody wanted to do this movie. You're saying Margot Kidder? What like was... Margot Kidder, Margot Kidder did not want to do the movie. Christopher Reeves did not want to do the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it basically came down to to get Christopher Reeves to do the film. They said, okay, well, we'll give you script approval. Mm-hmm. We'll pay you a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I think it was like, like four million dollars to to do the movie. The budget was and, thirty nine for the entire film. Which yeah, was the shortest, the, the lowest budget, and then Chris got paid the most for this movie, yeah. which is weird. And he just didn't want to do the movie, and and they said, okay, well, we'll give you script approval because after what happened in in two, 
And it was just, it just nobody wanted to make this movie. Yeah, he's still good, and he still gives it his all and acts like when it's when it's the Superman versus Clark Kent battle, he really emotes and he's giving yeah. his all. Margot was penalized by just not being in the film because she spoke out against them publicly for yeah. their shady business practices. Yeah, so they just made Lois go on vacation in the first scene. Yeah, because they're like, yeah, depressing. we don't really need you. We'll just, we'll just, you're you're on vacation, which. You know, which they did in Thor, right? Where yeah. you know, Portman, they're like, oh, she's just gone on vacation. She's gone on a trip. Yeah. yeah. And it's such a bummer because Lois was a huge part of one and especially two. Yeah. Uh, and two, they really solidified their partnership and their relationship. And they were like, you know, they, be- they became Lois and Clark. And then in three, we just don't see her again. And he has a new love interest. Yeah. They have him go to, to back to Smallville to meet Lana Lang. Uh, and that's really interesting. It's played by Annette O'Toole. And later on in Smallville, the TV show, like 20, 30 years later, she plays Ma Kent. She plays yeah. Clark's mom. Yeah, that's a it's an interesting callback. And she also composed the score for the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, really? Yeah, she's really cool. <laughs> interesting. So I like her in the movie. I like the Lana Lang character a lot. And the idea of uh, Clark was a nerd in school, and then he comes back, and because he was a swell guy his whole life, he's uh, more of a catch than the, the old football players and the old studs in Smallville. They're yeah. still reliving their glory days, and Clark is still ascending. He's becoming a journalist and finding himself. And I really like the, that a message for young nerdy kids, of yeah, which yeah. I was one, of like, you know what, just stay on the path, and the, the girls will see you eventually, buddy. It's very Superman. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting film, uh, and it's so after the first half of the film, which is kind of this has these insane aspects to it with a a, a ski slope on the top of the building, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know Richard Pryor's character Gus all of a sudden takes one computer class, becomes the best hacker in the world. Yeah, uh, like how do you do I, it? He's like, I don't know, my fingers just I do just it. I just do it, you know. Um, and apparently, he the him wanting to do it was he said it as a joke on a talk show. They mm. were like, "Well, what do you want to do next?" And he's like, "Oh, I'd like to be Superman." So they thought he was serious and put him in a Superman movie. Oh man, him as Superman would be kind as of cool. yeah, That's interesting. that would be really interesting. That would be really cool. Uh, but then, yeah. like the second half of the movie, kind of takes this weird tonal shift into like kind of this earnest like, well, the the whole the whole MacGuffin of the the Kryptonite thing mm. is is you know where they basically Superman becomes dark, dark Superman, the yeah. shadow. Right? So Richard Pryor, the hacker, he hacks kryptonite. Yeah. He decides, he finds out exactly what kryptonite is by hacking it, except for 7%, like 0.07%. Point point f- yeah, exactly. So then he just adds tar to the mix because he looked at his cigarettes and they're yeah. smoking it. All these movies are brought to you by smoking. Yeah. So they add tar to it and then tar makes it red kryptonite from the comics. Yeah. But it's still green in the movie. And it makes him split off into a separate personality. So one half becomes the uh, Man of Steel, Zack Snyder Superman. He's this like dick. Dark, with, broody. Yeah, yeah. With a three, like five o'clock shadow. And he has the uh, the muted colors of Man of Steel. Yeah. And he becomes just a total butthole. And he's like trying to bang girls. Like, like there's a bridge exploded. And then Lana Lang's like, shouldn't you deal with that? And he's like, baby, I got plenty of time. I'm always there right in time. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. It's amazing. And then the other half is just Clark Kent. And they, yeah. have, they have a fight in a junkyard, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's literally man versus self, right? The, yeah. The, the fight versus himself. And it's him talking to himself. He's like, Clark, you always wanted to fly. Here's your chance, nerd. And he throws him by his underwear. And yeah. It's, it's like self-hatred. Yeah. It's, it, it's really interesting just how they... Because originally they were going to call it Superman versus Superman. Ooh, I like that. And then they were like, no, let's just call it Superman 3. 
um, mm. for marketing purposes. I know that initially the very first pitch was written by Elias Salkind, and, okay. and she wanted Supergirl to be in it, and she wanted Brainiac to be in it. And the idea was that Brainiac was going to raise Supergirl from infancy to like 16 years old to be a weapon to kill Superman. And then she would f- fall in love with him and and come to the Superman side, even though she's his cousin. And she had this like really weird pitch that she wrote. And they're like, no, we're just going to put Richard Pryor in it because he's really popular. Well, I mean, you could see the, the aspect of the Brainiac with the supercomputer at the end, right? Yep. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, because he, he's such a good hacker. He makes a living computer. Yeah. And then, and then the, the the craziest part that I remember the first time I saw it as a kid when she turns into a killer robot. Right? Oh, it's amazing! When when um, uh, Robert Vaughn's uh, sister, who's like the villainess of the of the piece, like gets sucked into the supercomputer and turns her into a killer robot. Yeah, yeah. That shooting laser beams it hacks and everything. Her brain. Like that's uh, you know, looking back on it now, you're just like. That is insane. Like how? Yeah. Like <laughs> and Superman gets digitized, and he's like in an Atari game. Yeah. And that whole sequence was was brought to you by Atari. Yeah. Because they were a division of Warner Brothers, so yeah. it was like to sell Atari the Superman game. When I also read that at the time they actually did have a Superman video game, mm-hmm. but they terrible. created a new version of that game. Well, not really a new version, but they created an all new look just for the movie mm-hmm. of a Superman game, and. When uh, he's shooting at Superman, like scores are appearing. Yeah. Like it's just so. Like so why would that be there? Yeah, because a commercial for the video game. It's so random. And like you mentioned, so the uh, Ross Webster is the villain of this one. Yeah, who's just Lex Luthor? He's like a white corporate businessman who's consumed by greed, who has two bumbling sidekicks, and one of them is a hot girl. And the other is a straight man who's his sister. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, you know, Otis and Miss Tessa. Yeah, Pepper. pretty much. Yeah. And it, it's just Lex again. Like, they're like, we wanted to vary the villains because Superman's starting to feel like Friday the 13th where he fights Jason every time. So we want to have a diverse cast of villains and they're all just businessmen and like. Yeah, pretty much dorks. the same, same thing. Yeah. I would have loved to have Brainiac. It would have been amazing. That would have been great. We have a, a stationary PC computer that he fights, which is lame. Yeah. It's not Brainiac. Yeah, and it just shoots a laser at, at him, and that's that's it. That's yeah. all it does. So this sort of killed the franchise a little bit. Like, 4, four is the last one, and that was the one that Chris wrote himself. Uh, and, like, it was a passion project, but yeah. no one really cared. Like, 4 was made because they wanted Christopher Reeve to make other movies, and he wouldn't do it unless they made Superman 4 and let him write it. Uh, which is exactly like the Vin Diesel with the Riddick character. Yeah, like, I'll yeah. do Fast and the Furious, but I'm, you're going to make an anime in my D and D character, which I respect whole wholeheartedly. Yeah, I mean the thing the thing about Superman Four is that it it wears its heart on its sleeve a little too much. Oh, I love it's very like, earnest. Yeah, and and I feel like that's kind of where they went wrong in a way. Like if but, they had yeah. if they it was a little more fun, yeah, yeah. then I could. Be on the journey with it. Sure. It's, you know? it's kind of sappy to the point of it being like a biblical parable, which I, yeah. I love. Three, though, is an Atari commercial. So yeah. like that culture shock is kind of hard to deal with yeah. watching and, them back to back. And, and, and just the reason why I think three is just so so great is just because it has so many random elements to it. Sure, sure. You know, where it just feels like this weird pastiche of like 
maybe there were too many studio notes. Like, yeah, I didn't, yeah. Like nothing made sense. Well, for right? sure, if, if they came to them with the Supergirl movie and they're like, no, Richard Pryor, like that's a big change from Supergirl. That's yeah. pretty funny. I love talking to you about stories because you're in the movie industry. You make your own your own films. Yeah. So you see this stuff. So you see the stories behind the stories and that's really cool. Can we talk about your career a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you get into movies as far as like a career option? Um. Well, me personally, so I started out in uh, I was actually a theater geek and all in school and I got to a point where in college I was doing a lot of like professional theater but I also had friends that would do film as well as theater and you see that you cannot make a living at theater but you can make a living doing film sure so that was why I started working on film as well I mean I've always loved you know films and, and things like that mm-hmm. but I never thought about going into film because I'm not I'm not a techie sure. you know I'm I'm you know I'm a geeky nerd you're not a, a hacker who can hack the no, weather no yeah um so the so that was part of the reason why and then when I went to college I basically I double majored in film and theater hmm. so I have kind of a background in both and for me my my um and it's hard. It's always been about the story, right? About yeah. storytelling, whether it's in you know a, a song or a poem or a book or a short story or a play or a film. Sure, sure. To me, it's all kind of like just about telling storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of the reason why I got into film was that there it is a viable opportunity where you can actually tell stories that people will see. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do a play, you're kind of limited to just that one time, that one moment, mm-hmm. which is great. But if you want more people to see it, you you kind of have to expand outside of that. Sure, sure. Um, and so just based on that, you know, come graduated from UC Santa Barbara, came to L.A., did some PA work and hated it, you know. <laughs> I think you're supposed to, right? Yeah. It's like a rite of passage. Yeah. And I, I, was, I was never very good at it, to be honest. And, and I actually preferred being in the office yeah. um, because you got to read all the contracts. You got to see, you know, how much everyone made. That's cool. You're supposed um, to sort of knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just kind of like hanging out with the producers and seeing the nuts and bolts of how a film was made because – you know, if you or, or any of the listeners have ever worked on a film, you know that the shortest part of a film's life is actually the filming mm-hmm. part. Uh, it's what goes on before it and after the filming that is the majority of the life of the film. Mm-hmm. And, and it can change so much. Absolutely. In, in editing or like, like conception. Yeah. yeah. So to me, I found that part fascinating. Like, you know, how do you... Uh, you know, package a film, put it together. How do you get it made? And then once it's made, how do you get it out there and distribute it and all that? You worked at like Disney for a minute. Right? I w- I worked at uh, I I worked God so many different places. I worked at um, Sundance Film Festival, Paramount. Um, I worked at Blockbuster for a long time mm-hmm. in their in-house distribution division. Mm-hmm. Which was a really interesting place to be because it was, you know, Blockbuster in the late 90s, early 2000s when they were like one of the biggest companies in the world. <laughs> just throwing money around. <laughs> and they they basically were like, well, what if we just, you know, distributed our own films? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like Boondock so, Saints would have died if not for Blockbuster. It was an exclusive through Blockbuster. Yeah. Video. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boondock Saints was one of our one of our big hits uh, early on. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of it back in the day, it was, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal films. Hell yeah. and. That's and, how and uh, Gore got to start yeah. doing this. So uh, it was really interesting because we were, when I started there, we were doing, God, 
50 to 70 films a year wow, we're wow. distributing i mean we had a huge appetite um and and you could and you could see if you went into a blockbuster there and there would be like a hundred copies of a film that you'd never heard of before. <laughs> right. Because we would dictate, be like, okay, you're going to take a hundred copies of this like small little Richard Lewis film. Cool. Like, you yeah. know, um, because you know, Hey, we got to retain a hundred percent of the, the revenue. Mm-hmm. So why not give it the shelf space? Yeah. Um, but having that ability to do that, we could actually go out there and see what kinds of films were performing well. And, help films to actually get made oh cool and one of the th- one of the things early on was that we noticed that uh true crime serial killer type movies did really well you mm. know you had henry porter of a serial killer yeah. uh ed gein did really well for us and so we started doing a bunch of those serial killer movies you know we did like ted bundy and Dahmer and gacy we should have like an extended universe and have them all form yeah, Avengers exactly. and that just totally murder a really work. big yes. guy. Uh, this serial killer super team. Oh, we should edit that out and then pitch that. I'm yeah. sure we could sell it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Blumhouse, yeah. we're coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so based on that, you know, we, we came up with the idea of producing a string of uh, serial killer movies. And we one of them was going to be, the, the first one was going to be America's first female serial killer, mm. right? Which was Eileen Warnos. Mm. And then Charlize Throne came on board, and that kind of changed everything. And then the budget grew, and it wound up doing a theatrical release. And then she Monster, won, right? and and that became Monster. Yeah. And she won the Oscar for wow. for for Monster, just based on you know. So, and that's what I find interesting about the film industry is that you never know what project is going to wind up becoming huge and might win an Oscar yeah, yeah. or. Or just fade away. Like we were talking you know, Mosquito Man. I would have like, bet money on Mosquito Man. Yeah, with a title exactly. like that. Or Mansquito. Mansquito. Oh, that's yes. so good. Absolutely. It's 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 a cult classic. Could get Charlize um, Theron to play Mansquito. Well, Mansquito. She can play anything. She can be Mansquito. She she Skeeter. She. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Uh, that's why you're a creative. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I was I was at Blockbuster for a while, and then um, through kind of a corporate restructuring, then I moved to. Uh, a couple of uh, smaller production companies, and then I was at Stars for the past nine years. Mm. And while I was at Stars, I, when I started there, they had just started doing their international distribution. And you know, based on my experience, they they kind of brought me on board to help grow that division. And our focus was primarily like at the time Stars was a movie channel, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't have a lot of original programming. So they It was like the GoBots to the Transformers of HBO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Um they were they were the movie channel. And a lot of people had it but didn't even know that they had it. <laughs> sure, because sure. we we had the, like the the encore channels which is like the action channel or the the western channel or uh the 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 romance channel. Mm-hmm. Like people would have it but not even really know that they had it. Sure, sure. Um and so we were like, you know, actually we were the the largest buyer of pay TV movies mm. um, because we had so many channels. We had like 16 channels. Oh, wow. Um, and they were just starting to get into original productions. And one of the first big productions that they had was Spartacus. And when that was coming out, it was a huge gamble for them. Like looking back on it, people were like, you know, oh, this was a no-brainer, you know, sword and sandal epic. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Sam Raimi is the the producer. It's in a post Game of Thrones. Yeah, and Lucy Lawless. And, yeah. You know, you'd think it would be like it's a no-brainer, but at the time it was a huge risk for us. And and even at the time, I think the budget was, you know, uh, it was you know millions of dollars an episode, and 
at the time nobody was doing those big budget type of series because it was like 2008 right around the financial crisis sure, and, sure. you know you had Rome from HBO but that was years prior mm-hmm. um, and we just went out there and, 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 and busted our ass to, to get that show on the air around the world mm-hmm. and really launch it as and it became like this huge international phenomenon mm-hmm. um, and and you know it, it did amazingly well for us and then from there of course we did additional series and, and TV movies and all that and then after that, um, eventually, at the end of 2016, Stars got acquired by Lionsgate. Mm. And through the acquisitions from Lionsgate, they basically were like, you know, hey, we have our own distribution team. We don't need you. Oh, and okay. so they gave me a nice big fat check to go away. And Excellent. I was more than happy to take it. <laughs> and make some movies. And go and make movies. And so... Um, I wound up helping a friend produce a sci-fi thriller called Pink Zone. Okay, Pink um, Zone. Yeah, and uh, we did that back in, like, I think 2014, something like that. It was a friend of mine that I met through the UCLA Filmmakers Program. And then I did Killing Joan. What was Pink Zone? Was Pink, Pink Zone is a uh, sci-fi thriller set in a futuristic world where... Women are becoming endangered because there is a disease that only is fatal to women. And that's called shopping. shopping. I'm, a, I'm a 90s insult comic today. I yeah, don't exactly. Know if I, I don't even that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of similar to like children of men, right? Yeah, Where yeah. it's like this disease is, is causing women to become endangered. And they were, and basically they're kind of rounded up and put into these uh, safety zones that are called the pink zone. Okay. And it's about a group of high school girls that one day a group of boys break in and kidnap them. Mm. Um, and it was done very like down and dirty, uh, low budget kind of, I, I would say it calls back to like seventies, John Carpenter, last oh, cool, house on cool. the left kind of, awesome. kind of a vibe to it. Um, was that intentional to avoid like you're saying studio notes, like Superman three got where you sort of, you saw inside the, the bigger system and you're sort of on the periphery of that now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and the thing is, is that, you know, uh, for me, the, the, f- what I find interesting about it is one having, you know, the, the, the female characters who, you know, you wouldn't necessarily see, a, uh, although there are a lot of female characters in horror films, uh, you don't see a lot of, uh, genre films specifically about a group of women coming together. You know, I mean, you have like the descent or, or things like that, but, you know, usually it's like, a girl that's or a group of teenagers hunted by a killer or something like that. So I found that was really interesting. And then the, the, the sci-fi aspect of it. And I'm a huge fan of, you know, children of men and, and, and sci-fi and saying, okay, well, can you do a low budget sci-fi really? Mm-hmm. Because sci-fi is a really hard thing to do without a ton of money. Sure. Sure. Um, you just get smarter, right? Like yeah. toilet zone is always like genius concepts with like cardboard sets. Yeah, exactly. So you can do it really well, but you have to be like, you have to really care. Yeah. And I knew that with the, with the genre wrapping of the story that there would be a market for it, that mm-hmm. people would be interested in it. Um, so that and and part of the, part of the reason why I came on board as a producer is that it was a friend of mine who I had helped him actually develop the script, mm-hmm. and then he was going to just go out and film, and I was like, "Good luck, have fun." And then he was like, "Can you help me out?" Because he needed help to get the film made. So you're a producer on that. So I produced that one. Yeah, I think a lot of folks don't know what that word means, producer. 
Because it can mean a many it different things. It could mean things. just giving money. It, it could mean it's... being someone's husband. It could mean... <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if you go on, like, the Producers Guild website, it gives kind of a breakdown of, you know, what is what is an executive producer, what is a producer, what is an associate producer, mm-hmm. what is a co-producer. Um, and they all kind of have different definitions. So, like, an executive producer is usually the, the, the money guy, right? Mm-hmm. It's usually, like, the production executive or the person who, who puts up the finances. And also sort of budgets that and, 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 and does the math. Well, the math, that's usually the line producer. Oh, okay. Who does, like, the budget breakdowns gotcha. and, and all that. And, and usually the, the line producer uh, is, like, the person who is on the set okay. every day, kind of overseeing things to make sure things are running on the set. Mm. Um and then a producer, just a producer, producer with a with a P, is like the creative producer. It's the person who is working with the director to achieve their vision okay. and to make the film the best that it can. So be. Sort of like an editor for comics. Uh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, it's it, it's it's basically you're there to be kind of be the sounding board for the director okay. and and kind of helping them uh, to get their vision out there. And you're to, kind of like a problem solver. It. Yeah, right. and and a lot of times it's uh, you know there there are times when, you know, if we're in the editing room and I, I look at the edit of a scene and I'm like, okay, it's not quite work. Why don't you tell me what you're trying to do with the scene oh, okay. and, and see if there's a way that we can get that to be where you want it to be. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, you know, and 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 ultimately, I mean, a good producer is doing that. Mm-hmm. Some producers are, who are not that great will try and impose their vision yeah, of the yeah. film kind of on the director yeah. and so it's kind of up to the director like how heavy handed you want to be um, that was the case with the Sulkines I, I read for the Superman stuff like they wanted to be very comedic and I know for the first movie they wanted to have like Superman searching for Lex and he finds a bald guy and then it's Kolchak the Night Stalker yeah and like offers him and so like they wanted to be really comedic and that was sort of toned down in the first two so in this third one where those guys were all gone and just the producers were left and they could pick their own people like it was very comedic and very funny yeah and, and, and if you saw the well, what is it? The Death of Superman documentary yeah, yeah. Uh, with uh, Peter Gruber. No, not Peter Gruber. Uh, John Peters, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of how he was like, okay, we got to have a big spider, and we got to have yeah, yeah, killer yeah. robots, and, uh, and you know, so there is that version, which is not necessarily the best version of, of what a producer is. Sure, sure. Um, and then you have like associate producer, who's kind of like the junior producer, who's kind of helping out, and then co-producer is basically like somebody who's working, producing along with somebody. Gotcha. Um, which is all that kind of means. But people kind of throw these terms out loosely. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's no... Like on a film, unless you're the Coen brothers, there's only one director, gotcha. right? Gotcha. Or there might be like a second unit director. But on a film, there can be like a dozen producers. And mm-hmm. you're like, what did this person do? And what? how does this person contribute? And sometimes you don't know. Like sometimes it's... Uh, you know, I've I've worked on films where... There are a dozen producers, and some of them get a producing credit because they are the manager of the star. And so they're like, if you want to use, you know, this, if you want to use my client in your film, you have to give me a producing credit. Um, Do you get more money for that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so they usually reason. get like a producing fee. So it's a way of getting like a kind of a kickback in a way. Okay. So just like mafia nonsense. Yeah, pretty much. Gotcha. Um, it's studio counting, you know. <laughs> um, That's pretty funny. Yeah. So and then, you know, uh, after Pink Zone was done, then I was actually going to produce a different script that I had, but I wasn't quite happy with it. And then I had this other script that I had written back in 2010 that uh, I had been 
for some reason or, or other, it just always stuck in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it it had always been there, and originally I had written it as kind of this like big budget kind of you know action uh, type of film. And I said, well, is there a way that I could kind of rewrite this to do it based on the resources that I have? And so I rewrote the script and I spent, you know, probably about a year or so kind of like rewriting it, toning it down, limiting the number of locations, limiting the number of of characters. That's so hard. Like, I'm a guy who comes from comics primarily. Yeah. I'm just starting to slide into film and TV a little bit. And it's so horrible to have to deal with actual physics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and the reality of money and, and, like, who you can get and locations. Like, whittling down this amazing idea you have into what you can practically achieve in human reality it yeah. is, is a nightmare, especially yeah. for your stories that are like supernatural and stuff. Like, how do you how do you do that? It's crazy. It, it is it is crazy because sometimes you have to make compromises that you're like, oh, I wish I wish I could do this. But unfortunately, I can't. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you if you're like, OK, in this scene, there's like an army of super soldiers coming yeah. out and, yeah. you're and like, they're all werewolves. Nah. And yeah, like it's awesome. like, yeah, 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 you can't you, you can't do that in film yeah, unless yeah. you have like a huge budget. So, so this script talking about is Killing Joan, Killing right? Joan. Yeah. Your, your newest film. Um, which is is coming out in in April, mm-hmm. um, and it it took me several years to to get this film done. So you started writing in 2010, and you, or you finished it in 2010. Yeah, I, I finished the first draft in in 2010, and then after that, I did the the screenwriting program at, at UCLA, the professional program in screenwriting, which is a one year intensive course. Um, and then after that, I did the director's workshop at UCLA as well, which is where I met the the friend of mine who who uh, directed Pink Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, yeah, it, it took a long time. <laughs> you know, I uh, uh, originally started pre production on Killing Joan at the end of 2014. We spent about four months in casting and oh, scouting wow. locations wow. and and just putting everything together. Uh, and then after that, we shot it in about three weeks in early three 2015. Weeks. Wow. Yeah. Very, very quick, uh, shoot schedule. That's crazy, man. Um, then we had, what, what is an average, uh, shoot schedule for like an average movie? I mean, it, it really depends. I mean, I would say like, you know, like 10 to 15 days is like a TV movie, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then. The average shoot, it's so tough to say, but it's usually about 30 days, 20 to 30 days. Like sometimes it's like six weeks roughly. Um, But if you're doing like Dunkirk or whatever, you know, obviously it can be like 100, 200 day shoot um, depending on the film. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, So yeah, it really, it, it was a really short schedule and then we had a... Um, we unfortunately we had a, a hard drive crash, so we oh. lost some footage. Oof. So we had to do about three days worth of reshoots, which is not bad. I mean, you know, most films have to do reshoots, Got and it. it's and and just you know, it's not a bad thing to have to do reshoots. Like almost every single film does reshoots. It's it's extremely it's common. Not like a black mark against anything. No, a lot of people will think that it is. They're like, oh, they're doing reshoots, and what's wrong with it? And, Sometimes it could just be like, oh, we really need a shot of him petting the dog or oh, we really need this. And sometimes it's it's uh, bad studio notes that are like, you need this. And sometimes it's just like, no, we just need a little connective scene here gotcha, or gotcha. this scene didn't work or whatever. Well, speaking about studio notes, uh, let's take a break real fast and hear from our sponsors. And we're back. So Killing Joan, what's the pitch for that movie? What's the high concept? Blow our minds. So the high concept for Killing Joan is a 
An enforcer for the mob gets her revenge on those who wronged her, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, She is a badass chick, right? She's she's known for for being just uh, uh, tough as nails, uh, you know, chick, right? Who who will who you know if you cross her, she'll she'll you know. She'll kick your ass. For sure. I saw some um, John Wick comparisons yeah. from some reviewers. Yeah. yeah. Some people said, someone said it was basically John Wick with superpowers. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I think Superman fans will, will like that angle a lot. I do. So, so how does that come into play with this crime story? So, you know, it's, it's really interesting because like the, the concept of the story has changed a lot. And originally I kind of envisioned it as, and this may sound strange, but I was kind of inspired by, did you see the Albert Brooks movie, Defending Your Life? I didn't. Um, or there's also this really bad Paul Hogan movie um, where he comes back from the dead as an angel to, oh. to try and redeem himself. Hmm. And so it, it all kind of came from the thought of redemption about like you have somebody who is a bad person, right? Who's who does horrible things, who who kills and, and does drugs and, and, and all that stuff. And uh, if they were given the opportunity to come back mm-hmm. to kind of make amends for all that they had done um is there redemption within that person like like i believe that like there is good within everyone mm-hmm. that like you know there is good and evil within all of us and that the uh the struggle for joan in this film is between her good side and her evil side mm-hmm. and that's ultimately what the film was about that's cool and what is the catalyst that brings her back the catalyst that brings her back is Never really mentioned specifically. Oh, it's, interesting. It's, uh, I try to keep it kind of mysterious. I, that's I, cool. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to over-explain it. I didn't yeah, want yeah, to be great. like, you know, oh, so-and-so wished it a well and sort of rubbed the magic lamp. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to leave it like, no, she's she is this vengeful ghost. She... I mean, and and if you if you've studied like the supernatural at all, you know that like there's this thing about how ghosts are creatures that have unresolved issues mm-hmm. or unresolved conflicts or people that died in 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 chaos or had horrible things happen to mm-hmm. them, and that she is this this force that you know something horrible happened to her and. It, and she came back because she has unresolved issues. That's cool. I like in the supernatural when it's a metaphor for the unknown. Yeah. And when, like, there's no clear rules. There's no, like, tablet with chiseled out. Here's what happened, and here's how you get out of this. Like, yeah. It's beyond humans' comprehension. That's really interesting. And, and it's even scarier than normal. That's cool. Well, and it was also very influenced by, like, a lot of the Asian cinema, like The Grudge or The Ring, oh, cool. where... You know, you have like there's like all these folk tales about. Uh, actually, the folk tales are all around the world about ghosts who are who are vengeful spirits because they've been wronged. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of fusing that to like a John Wick crime story. That's yeah. really inspired. That's cool, man. Yeah, because I don't think I don't know if we've actually ever seen this before of like blending the the ghost story supernatural with like the the death wish revenge yeah, that's awesome. aspect <laughs> of it. Um, and I know a lot of people have made obvious, uh, you know, comparisons to like the crow, sure, sure. um, or like a ghost writer maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A ghost writer, the crow or, um, you know, but I even went back to look at, you know, like there's old boy, oh, yeah. um, hang him high, the old Clint Eastwood movie. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, re- there's, there's been a long and storied history of revenge films, mm-hmm. 
Um, so I just thought it was kind of interesting to to bring that aspect. Why does that to genre it. interest you? Do you think you're a pretty like even tempered, nice guy, <laughs> and then you're like, I'm doing the thing about a ghost that murders people that murdered her. I think it's because of uh, I I was brought up Catholic, and so uh, coming from that that whole uh, aspect of Catholicism and you know, uh, what is it, the the plenary indulgence, mm-hmm. the, you know, or, or the, the, the you know, if you make the deathbed confession, you can get into heaven. Sure. And that there's always... The uh, atonement and redemption. The, yeah, exactly. There's, there's in a lot of stories in, in Catholicism, it, it's a lot about, like, you know, c- redemption and, you know, overcoming the, the, the bad aspect of yourself. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think that's kind of what resonated with me is that internal struggle with all of us that... Uh, you know, there's definitely a dark side in myself that I just don't let out. Like, and I feel like, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's so easy and, and, and it, it actually ties into what we're going through today, especially with like YouTube and social media and Facebook and all that, where people feel like they can just let out their nastiest sides of themselves because oh, there's yeah. no repercussions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I feel like saying, like, you don't have to do that. You know, you don't have to. uh, Like, if you see something, you don't have to say, oh, this is shit. This is awful. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one of the things that I that especially now as a as a as a filmmaker and as a writer is that, like, if I see a movie or something and I think, oh, my God, this sucks. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of going to social media and saying, oh, this sucks. Right. Talk about something you do like. Yeah. yeah. Right. Instead of saying, you know, like Superman three. Yeah, like Superman <laughs> three. Yeah, it's funny you're talking about not wanting to let up the dark side of you because in this movie Clark Kent lets Does, up the dark yes, side of him and, exactly. and like fist fights him in in a. So what is it about humans that like those kinds of stories? Like as far back as Catholicism, yeah, it, you know, like our, our most our most like ancient primal stories. We have these things about duality and about like the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. Why do you think we like these stories where you can like make those physical? I I you know. Uh, is it, is it the, was it Jungian the the anima and the animus yeah, that yeah. we we all have the the light and the good and the, the the good and the evil and the light and the dark and there's just something about us that we as as humans as storytellers that that always go back to you know uh, you know what is in the dark the the unknown you know what is what is what is our shadow right sure sure um, it's a very like cultural thing though too because I know like in Mexican mythology like there isn't really a delineation between good and evil as much as there is with like Catholicism. Like every God and goddess and, and monster has like a good aspect and a bad aspect. Every single one. There's no like pure Jesus and no like pure devil. It's isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like some cultures have that that strict divide and some don't. And I like that even in Superman, like he had a dark side and a, a negative side and like that's kind of interesting, right? Yeah. And that's and that's I mean obviously, you know, I, I was, you know, uh, a, a geek from a young age and, and read a lot of comic books and, and movies and books and all that. And that's, as you know, it's, it's common theme of, uh, you know, there's always, there's two faces. Yeah. There's, there's Bizarro. Yeah, yeah. There's always like the, the flip side of, you know, there's always like dark Spider-Man. There's always Venom, yeah, dark, yeah. you know, there's yeah. dark Superman. There's, you know, there's always like the, the, the flip side, the shadow version. Is that uh, just to show how cool the good side is? I think when you see how bad they could be, you thank them for being good then. Yeah. Like but in this movie when Superman gets drunk and he starts flicking peanuts at the speed of bullets and he's like shattering windows and like and, and beer bottles and stuff. And yeah. you see that he can just like get bored and murder people. 
but he doesn't. And like, thank you, Clark. That makes you a better person. Yeah. And, and and it's like that whole thing with with great power becomes great responsibility. Like yeah, yeah. you know that like all of us have that the that power to you know to to use it for good or evil, right? Mm-hmm. And and I don't know. I for me that's that's a theme that uh, I always kind of respond to. Sure, sure. Is is and 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 always like I also realize that myself as a person in power or when. You know, uh, I can be the bad guy. I, I've been the bad guy in other people's lives. Like, mm-hmm. I think we all have, right? Sure. Um, and that trying to be aware of that and and realizing that, you know, sometimes uh, um, you have the option to be, to not, like, you could easily just be, you know, go away, kid. You know, you're bugging me. Like, yeah, yeah. no, no, thanks. Get, get out. Get out of my face. It's not and, my responsibility to teach you. I'm not your parent. Yeah. But in a society. Yeah, exactly. It kind of is, right? You kind of, it kind of is like whenever there's a teaching opportunity, you have to seize that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I read a great quote from, I think it was Neil Gaiman who said, uh, when people bring him writing or stuff like that, and it's like, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? He, he kind of said, I, I learned that it's best to say, that's great. Keep writing. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't, crush someone's dreams early on Mm -hmm. you know like if if they're a young person just starting out trying to write trying to make films uh don't crush their dreams just just be like you know that's great keep working on it you know um and and you know you you have that choice Mm -hmm. you have the choice uh to either respond positively or negatively to anything that goes on in your life like in the film with the prior character he starts off as a guy who's sort of greedy and then he's corrupted by his boss who enlists him in these like escalating escapades uh, where he's hacking the weather. Like I said, hacking yeah, yeah. The night. and then at the end he's like, I don't want to go down in history for being the guy who killed Superman. And he's redeemed by the example of Clark and he saved the day. And like, so even, even the bad guys in Superman stories have the opportunity to do what you're saying and turn around and yeah. become good. And I love that. Yeah. And, and, and maybe that's part of the reason why I find this, the, the film interesting is just, that again, it ties into that duality of, mm. of of good and evil within all of us, and the fact that you literally have Superman fighting himself, and you know the the bad guys. It's like, well, do I really want to be the guy who's known as killing Superman? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's part of the reason why. I mean, as 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 cheesy and as as ill conceived as the film is, there's just I don't know. There's just something. F- fucked up and weird and interesting about that movie yeah 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 it's cool and like you said looking at it and seeing the studio notes and seeing the artists try to like accommodate those and and, like make something despite that that's heroic in its own right the fact that any movies ever made is astounding like it's impossible to make movies and so many are made a year and that in itself is like applaudable and like if you haven't ever tried to make anything uh any comic any novel any play any movie uh before you criticize the next one just give it a whirl yeah. See, see how hard it is and you'll have any fun appreciation. Yeah. It'll oh. make you like movies more. Even bad ones, you'll be like, you know what? That took a lot of effort. And and not only that, but like, you know, if you stay at the end of a movie, you see all those names. Yes. All those people worked on the film. And if you've ever tried to get a group of friends together to agree <laughs> on something, or like yeah. like where are we gonna go for lunch? Yeah, right? Yeah. That becomes a huge like just you know, we're trying to make a band in high school. Yeah, like, there's always two kids who want to like design the logo, and then two who want to write songs. And like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's impossible to make so, any creative so effort. So, you you kind of have to have a little bit of of generosity because like just trying to get a hundred people to do anything is yeah, yeah, yeah. incredibly difficult. 
Um, that's what, that's why you got, I got to hand it to anyone who, who gets a film made independently because you don't have the support of a studio. You don't have somebody just like, okay, great. I'll write a check, yeah, go yeah. fix it. You got to figure out how to do it. You know? And so you created your own superhero with this killing joke movie. Killing oh, Joan. Kill, sorry, killing Joan. Killing Joan. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to Batman mode. Yeah. Uh, killing Joan. Yeah. And that's really inspirational to me that that's very Siegel and Schuster. Do you have aspirations to work on franchise stuff ever? I mean, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I always thought that, that, doesn't happen right like you know like oh nobody writes batman like, there's, <laughs> there's like one guy who does it and he gets paid really well and, and his nobody, name is batman yeah his name is batman so uh i mean I, you know there there are a lot of characters uh that i would love to to take a crack at mm. to to kind of see like what my version of that would be mm. um and and it's it's interesting because some people have definitely caught that superhero aspect of this character because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like somebody there somebody made a reference to to cloak and dagger, which right? I think is awesome because you said that's true, right? Yeah, you do yeah. Love cloak and dagger. That's I love awesome. I love cloak and dagger. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Marvel they, character. Yeah, there's there's a lot of of uh, influences in the film, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so there there I would love to 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 tackle some of these. Uh, big characters and to see what what my take would be are on you it. more into the cloak and dagger kind of like b-list guys are you more into like hawkeye than captain america are you more I, into... yeah i mean i've i've always been you know i i in terms of comics i i always came you know i, I was reading back in the 90s and the 80s when you had these guys oh, like dinosaur Grant. yeah i know <laughs> uh you know so you had like alan moore and grant morrison mm-hmm. and neil gaiman and all these amazing writers and uh, like one of my favorite runs was Grant Morrison on Animal Man. Yeah, dude. Um, you know, just to kind of expand the kinds of stories that you can tell in that form, I think are really fascinating. Like like books of magic, mm-hmm. you know, and it's Constantine. Cool to, it's cool to elevate these characters that aren't on T-shirts. Yeah, so to take an Animal Man and then do like a seminal run that's reprinted twenty five years later. Like yeah. that is what's cool and impressive to me. I really want to make dorky fan films of established superhero characters do it why not but it's it's like sinking money and time into something that has no reward did you see the i think it was it joseph hahn did the um the mortal Kombat. i uh, love that yeah i love that i love all the adi shankar stuff too like the punisher dirty laundry have you seen that no i haven't he actually got thomas jane to reprise the role wow. of punisher and uh, yeah it's great all the audition car stuff, his Power Rangers, he has a thing called the bootleg universe. Oh, and nice. he creates these bootleg shorts as a pitch to those companies. And like, I don't know if it's ever worked, but he gets other stuff. Like he has the Castlevania license. He produced the Castlevania cartoon for Netflix. Yeah. And well, it's like, uh, was it Dan Trachtenberg who had the portal film and then he did yes. Cloverfield? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it happens. He did know? the sequel, right? Like 10 Cl- Cloverfield, yeah, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Lane. Yeah. 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 So, that, so it's not on the franchise, but it's, other folks it's see adjacent. it and see what you can yeah. do and it's popular i would love to do like a recurring jimmy olsen like fan film it's so awesome <laughs> so what's your what's your take on jimmy olsen i'll, I'll tell you after we record okay. you can combine forces uh yeah no yeah. i it's i i find it really interesting just to like take i think it would like the like the what they're doing with snagglepuss now yeah um just to like take something that was is kind of like a throwaway and just being like, well, what is the real version of this? Like, what is the updated version yeah. of this that I think would be really fascinating? I would love to do Jimmy Olsen as like a citizen journalist. Cause that's what we see now is not people yeah. who are paid to be journalists, but who just do it. Uh, 
and they get like patreons to support themselves uh and i want to track him doing the rise of luther to president okay like trump style yeah yeah yeah, so yeah. jimmy's always been there and jimmy's lived in metropolis the same way that people who are from new york have always hated donald trump yeah and we look at back and we see like he's the bad guy in gremlins too and he's a he's a jerk in home alone and like he's they've hated him forever in that city and now internationally people know who he is now but like following a character who knew that guy so closely yeah and watching them rise to power be pretty interesting yeah kind of the, like black lives matter kind of you mm-hmm. know because it, it's that's different definitely very now mm-hmm. right like the whole citizen journalist thing yeah yeah like someone who isn't corrupted by media but then maybe you have like opposing guys who are sort of info warsy that like fight with jimmy and, like they have the other opinion of, okay like... can i tell you about info wars it's uh kind of an interesting <laughs> aside because so when you do like a search for killing joan online oh did, did alex jones review it no so no, no 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 Alex Jones has this conspiracy theory that Michelle Obama is uh, responsible for killing Joan Rivers and had her killed because she revealed that Michelle Obama is secretly a man. Yeah, I was just going to say that he said forever that she's a dude. Yeah. Because being gay would be the worst thing ever in yeah. the world. So that's and, a, yeah. and so if you search for killing Joan online... Oh you my will God. see a lot of oh, Alex so Jones, happy. like, you know, oh, you're just mad about Michelle Obama killing Joan Rivers. And, I wish that I was Alex Jones because he lives in a comic book world where there's, like, clear good and evil and, like, demons possess people. <laughs> and, like, he believes that Obama's, like, yeah, possessed by a, an other dimensional demon. And he thinks that there's bombs that can turn you gay. Yeah. Like, it's amazing. He's actually living in, like, DC Comics. He, he's like the live I'm action so version of, of, of Weekly World News. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. We should get that guy to play Luther. <laughs> Let's give him a call. He's not doing anything. Well, you know, you could do a take on Lex Luthor as Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah, just, just spouting, like, he's an alien. It's a yes. conspiracy. He's a don't fan. You, don't you get it? Superman's an alien. Yeah, yeah. He's here to take over our mind. <laughs> so is my Irish grandma. It's yeah. fine. So good. Superheroes are pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what's next for you as far as creation? I, I know you're working on a comic right now. Yeah, I'm working on um I talked to a couple of, of publishers and they're interested, but you know, haven't gotten very far along in that just because I've been so busy promoting the film. Sure, sure. And um, where's it gonna be as far as if folks want to look it up? It's gonna come out in April. Yeah, what, what day? Uh April third on VOD. VOD. Um, VOD on demand. So wherever you would find VOD on demand. Like um, Amazon, like stuff. Amazon, iTunes, mm-hmm. Comcast, wherever, Directv, you sure. know. Uh, and then the DVD is coming out this summer. Very cool, very cool. You should do a comic to come with it. I, I, awesome. I think so. Like I showed it to a friend of mine who's a, a producer who uh, used to work for the Asylum. You know those guys. Yeah. Oh man, do I know uh, Asylum? Sharknado. Oh yeah. my God. So our, our uh, producer is shaking her head. I made her watch Transmorphers with me. Oh my. <laughs> oh, no, I made you watch the sequel to Transmorphers. You want to talk about Transmorphers at all? Asylum's amazing. I love, they make loads called mockbusters. Yeah. So they just, they exist to confuse your grandma. If like for Christmas, if you want Pacific Rim on DVD, they make movies called Atlantic Rim just to confuse your grandma so she'll buy it on accident or Transmorphers instead of Transformers. And it always comes out like a week before the theatrical release. So you feel like you're getting something special. They did the Almighty Thor before yeah. the Mighty Thor. They, and I they think they did a AL. take on the Avengers, but I forget what they were called. I think the Avengers or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so good. They're they're heroes. They're heroes. They're based here. It's either in Silver Lake, right? Yeah, they're they're based in L.A. I um, 
but yeah, so I showed it to a friend of mine who was a producer. He used to work for them, and mm-hmm. and he was like, "You need to do a comic book based on this." Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I I'm definitely interested in, in adapting it in, in comic form, and then maybe even a TV series. Or there's definitely a world there that I wasn't necessarily able to explore in the film because mm-hmm. of like time and budget limitations. Sure, you I said you'd limit down to like two sets or whatever. Yeah, like, it's it, it's. I mean, not two, but, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, you, there's there's like certain things that like, you know, uh, in the film, she kind of like travels between the shadows and we never really get to see what's in that shadow world, oh, cool. which is something that I would love to kind of explore is like, what is what is that shadow sure. world and what is there and how does what happens when she's traveling between the shadow worlds and. You know, just other aspects of uh, the world that I wasn't able to explore. That's cool. That's cool. Do you have a Superman take? If, if DC saw Killing Joan and they were like, this is amazing. What's your pitch for the Superman franchise? Oh, geez. Any villain you're super into or any, any I mean, theme? My, I, I oh, geez. Um, there was the American Alien, right? The, the, the Superman. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, which I think was a really interesting take on, yeah. on Superman that he is an, he is an outsider mm-hmm. uh, and that he's not one of us that he is an alien and like um, and who isn't that true for at the end of the day right who yeah doesn't feel that way yeah I mean I, I one of the things I, I find interesting about Superman is the fact that he does have to pull his punches right mm-hmm. because he realizes that if he didn't he'd kill somebody yeah yeah right? they just atomize yeah, yeah. so what is what is it like to have to restrain who your true purpose, who who you truly are, mm-hmm. right? Kind of have to kind of like I can't be my true self because if I was, people would die. Yeah, I was watching like I write in the park a lot when I'm writing comics yeah. to be outside of my house. Uh, and I saw this little kid in a Superman shirt. And he, I saw him running, and it was at full speed. You could just tell that he was moving at full speed. Yeah. And the freedom of that, I haven't been able to do that since I was a little kid, you know? Because as an adult, you'll be look like a crazy person, or you'll harm someone. But, like, yeah. throwing a, ba- like a basketball as, like, hard as you can at your brother, like, that's really funny. That, that instinct to, like, just go full out, I think Clark has to – he can never kiss Lois – as hard as he wants to kiss her, he can never hug his mom as hard as he wants to hug her. Yeah, he can never hit anyone as hard as he wants to hit them. Like he lives in a world that is fragile. Yeah, and what is that like? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that would be really fascinating. And then also just like, so what is this escape? What flying, going to outer space? Like you mm-hmm. know, like what? Like if you're if you're that kind of a person, what is your escape? What do yeah. you do to? unwind like mm-hmm. you can't just have a beer right yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. and, and yeah. i don't think superman drinks right yeah he doesn't because he, he would never want to lose control because that's like part of the same theme yeah. of losing control yeah yeah so I, I think that would be kind of an interesting thing to explore is kind of his in a way it is it is very isolating you know mm-hmm. like his isolation and then why he would uh kind of be attracted to people like you know like wonder woman or batman or like these other heroes who kind of share that same experience Mm -hmm. and and what's that psychological uh you know like it's like that it's that secret club you know like like the 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 justice league is the secret club of Mm -hmm. like fine i can finally be myself around other people yeah yeah um, there's that Dark Knight uh, Strikes Again comic by Frank Miller where it's after Lois has died and it's been like years and years and he gets together with Wonder Woman and they make love for the first time and they an earthquake happens yeah. because both of them 
refuse to restrain themselves in this love now. Yeah. So they're they're kissing so hard that typhoons happen and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. intense. I like that a lot. Yeah. So that would be something interesting to explore. It's funny because you're such a, like a, again like an even mannered, calm guy, and then your stories are about like I've got this darkness inside me that's coming out. And what, do you want to do a Superman story? Yeah, I wonder how he just wants to punch things as hard as he can. Like I lo- <laughs> I love that you have the duality that Joan has and that Clark has in this movie, and it's really interesting to me. Well, it, it is also that thing of like there is I mean, when I was younger. Uh, I I was kind of a punk. I had like you know bleach blonde hair and like you know leather jacket yeah. and combat boots and all that. Right on, like right you know, go around listening to like you know Nine Inch Nails and what a rebel. Yeah, industrial music and all that. You know, the the you know. So there there was that aspect of me in the past, and people are people are like, wow, you just seem you seem so conservative. Like I'm like, no, you don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Like there's a reason you, why. What you seem like is a master of two worlds, right? Where, yeah. Where now you can be an adult, but you can also tap into that anger and make these works of art that are really like badass, yeah, John Wick level coolness. Well, and and it's funny too because I have friends that are like really into like the like punk and hardcore and mm-hmm. all that stuff, and and they're like, well, what do you you know what what bands do you like? And I'm like, it's really hard to be a punk when you make good money and have a nice house and you know like there what is the angst like i don't i don't have like angst i have a good life like i you know like uh uh, i know it's it's (laughs) it's, it sucks to be so so happy but i mean it's it's fine to be a punk when you're 20 right you know when you're a teenager right but i mean i'm in my 40s like i can't i can't just be like oh god life sucks and i'm like oh my 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 401k my ra isn't performing as well as it should (laughs) Like, you know, what are you going to, you know, what are you going to be mad about? Like, oh, my my Starbucks coffee, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. I want an extra hot. I hate this. That's amazing. All right. So if folks want to complain about how great their lives are to you, are you on Twitter? Do you do the whole Facebook thing? Uh, I am on Twitter at Todd Film, but with one D, D -D T-O-D-F-I-L-M. I'm Killing Joan is on Facebook. I'm on Facebook, but I hate Facebook. Um, <laughs> besides, only old people on Facebook, it, you know. Uh, Instagram, uh, yeah. Sure, sure. And Killing you know. Joan has its own Facebook page. Killing Joan has its own Facebook page. If you want to keep up on the film and, you know, reviews and news and all that stuff, that's probably the best place to go. Because you can't Google it because of Alex Jones. Yeah. So join that Facebook yeah, page. Exactly. And don't join Alex Jones' Facebook page. <laughs> yeah. Or do if you, if you have <laughs> that, that kind of perverse pleasure and you just want to see how insane and how deep the rabbit hole goes. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Well, this has been great, man. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's cool having an insight into the film world and into your dark, twisted psyche. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. Until next time, everybody. Up, up, and away. Ooh, super friends. With Eric Esquivel.